Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio. Simply Glory. Well, good evening. This is LeVon Breland. I pray that you're having a great evening. We are on live tonight. I do apologize for a minute delay, but we are on here nonetheless studying the Word of God. We're continuing our subject of lessons entitled The Dispensation of Grace, The Dispensation of Grace. And tonight I want to continue our study on grace, and we're translating grace as a judgment, grace as judgment. And this is going to be part one of this teaching where we discuss on the grace of God. Let's pray and get right into the lesson. Father, we praise you and thank you for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made me rejoice and are glad. We thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on the Holy Spirit as educator and guide to give me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought as I make manifold known the wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, I say, have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church and Father and everything that shall be accomplished and revealed. You be glorified. It is in the name of Jesus that we do praise you and give you glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's just read on for a little bit and then we'll get into grace as judgment. Grace as judgment. Amen. Um, it is a delight to study the word of God, and truly the word of God is the power of God to salvation. We covered a lot of territory last week, but we want to enhance that by new information. So we're going to be talking about God's grace being translated to the judgment of God. Now, we know that there are several teachings out there on grace, but I have yet to hear uh, anyone teach on grace as a judgment. And so tonight, hopefully, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can bring to light the grace of God being judgment. Now, the fact that grace is compared to the law in Galatians chapter 5 indicates that grace is a legal term, and it, it comes with legal stimulation. And so we're going to go in God's courtroom and abstract understanding that only the Holy Spirit can allot to us to afford the truth that we need to know about how we can take advantage of grace for living in times like these. Ephesians 3 talks about um, the dispensation of grace. Paul writes in the third chapter and says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, or how how that by Revelation, he made unknown unto me a mystery, as I wrote in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Mm, that's a very profound insight that he starts this particular article. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, uh, or verse 4, let's, let's hide that. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mysteries of Christ. I want you to underline that if you have some notes which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ 
by the gospel. Now, last week we discussed that and translated how grace is presented first to us as the gospel, as being the good news, the remedy, if you will, to resolve the conflict of wickedness to righteousness in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. And as we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have access into that grace where which we stand. Now it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and, and the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore we are made ministers according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And we said last week that grace is the strength of God enacted upon our lives through the power of God and his spirit. So we know that grace is not only a cover-up. There's no place near a cover-up. It, it is a divine working of God's power that strengthens us and causes us to have access to God, access to God. And not only that, to give us benefits that only God can give as a signature proof that we are children of God. Hallelujah. So verse 8 says, unto me, who are less than the least of all saints, is grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, here we see uh, several things. We see that there is knowledge in the mystery of Christ. We see that it is revealed by the Spirit of Christ, and we see that it is according to the workings of the power which is found through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it affords us riches the riches of and verse nine says to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which is from the beginning which the world has been hid in God. Now here here's the key. Who created all things by Jesus Christ, though it's always in Christ, to the intent that is now the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the churches the manifold wisdom of God. Now the wisdom of God is the application of the knowledge of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus in whom we have boldness and access and confidence by the faith of him. And so we talked about having the faith of God in transformation, our study of transformation. Now, you know, um, the next lesson for the remainder of the year is going to focus on uh, a deeper understanding on who God is and how God relates himself to us, with us, and in us. And um, if you're not used to in-depth study of the word of God, I would encourage you to go back to the beginning uh, studies of this year, all the way back to December of 2013, and kind of hone in uh, on the directives that God gave us for this year so you can, you can um, have a foundation as to the direction in which we're going. Amen. So we, we talked about, uh, the grace of God, being the strength of God allotted to us to be children of God in confidence. Here I want to give you five things that grace, how grace is seen in Scripture. Number one, grace is seen as a salutation. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of different, but it's a salutation or a greeting. The New Testament church wrote, um, the New Testament church often when writing the writings of the apostles um, would write grace and peace be multiplied unto you through our Lord Jesus Christ. That was a salutation given among other believers to identify the apostolic authority of uh, 
which were men separated by the Holy Spirit to communicate the overall message of Christ to the church. So when, when the word grace was given, it was seen as a salutation. You'll find that grace is more so emphasized in the New Testament. It is highlighted as a, as a objecting in the Old Testament. But it is, a, it is an effectual working in the New Testament. So somehow the connotation of grace changes in the, in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language. It is, it, is a, uh, it is a state of reality for Christianity. So, so we have to pay attention to those things. Now, you know, the Bible was written in two different languages for two different audiences. One is the Hebrew language, the Hebrew nation, the children of Israel, a Jewish covenantal book. Um, formally formulated by Moses has been edited and brought through the prophetic, through the chronicles of history and then through the prophetic writings and then also in the New Testament by Greek scholars who are also uh, connected with uh, the Jewish nation who begin to articulate the scripture more in a uh, metaphorical and a mystical sense. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that because I know uh, some sacred cows in Christianity have problems with you saying metaphorical, analytical, theoretical, <laughs> you know, but we just have to grow up. And, and, and so um, back to the lesson, we see that it is a salutation. You can write down Romans 1, 7. And then we also see in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8, that, it's, uh, that, uh, that uh, grace is a sovereign act. For by grace are you saved saved through faith, it is a gift of God. And then we also see it as supernatural sufficiency in Second Thessalonians 2.16. Um, and then also, this is a very important um, one. You can also note down um, a source of justification in Titus 3.7. But um, I also want you to uh, look at this last feature, which is speech or or more so conduct in communication. And it's seen as conduct or a speech mechanism of conduct in communication of the faith. And that's Colossians chapter 4, 1, or Colossians chapter 4, verses 18. Colossians chapter 4, verses 18. So we see five dynamics of grace written in Scripture. Let me give it to you again. A salutation in Scripture, a sovereign act a supernatural sufficiency, a source of justification and salvation, and then ultimately a, a speech uh, that is controlling the communication of Christian conduct. And so when we have those understandings, then we see grace amplified. Now, not only do we see grace in Scripture as a derivative or as a dynamic approach of various aspects of how God ultimately communicates to the believer, but we see it as a means by which God demonstrates his characteristics to us through the lens of judgment. And so what I want to talk tonight about is how God, how we can see the judgment of God in, 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 in the lens of dispensational grace. Now, I gave you dispensation. Is, uh, is really a, a, a concept that takes a historical observation uh, over a period of years. It could be hundreds, thousands, it could be twenties, it could be decades, where they summarize 
the uh, where they summarize the um, hallelujah. They summarize the the events in history and use the a key term to identify what is the major uh, resolution to that that generation's dilemma. And so uh, this this era in history, even this current history time, we consider the dispensation of grace. God, in essence, wants us to get a, a greater picture, bigger picture of His ideas, how He operates with people, how He how He uh, establishes His His ways, His wisdom, His works, His walks, His wonders. And, and his excellency uh, with us, with humanity. And God wants us to have a working knowledge of that. And we first learn it through the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we also take a look at worldview perspectives that communicate God's verdict on the people as a whole. And that's what dispensational learning does. So dispensational points to three things. We need to continue as we study to enhance our uh, understanding on the word dispensation. Now, let me give you three things. Dispensation, dispensational understanding develops uh, through an understanding of how God attempts to display his nature to humanity in a sequence of events. So ultimately what we're saying is how does God work in mankind? Um, and so uh, as the Bible is written in category, so are dispensations in category. And you can kind of uh, take a, a, a jump start into dispensational understanding through looking at how God dealt with the people in the Bible and then bring some type of prophetic conclusions to how God is dealing with us today. Now, we do know that significantly there are three major, major uh, dispensations taught in the Bible. As we observe the Bible, we see the dispensation of or the Adamic dispensation, or the dispensation of creation, where we see the first five books take on the form, where you see the, how the world began, how the world uh, developed, how the world was corrupted, how the world was corrected, how the world was characterized without God, and how the world uh, had concluded uh, with the need for God. Then we see the dispensation of Christ, uh, found from Isaiah all the way into the Gospels and, and partly into the New Testament uh, according to uh, the which confines itself. Really, the, the, the Gospels in the New Testament are Old Testament because while Jesus was walking on the earth, the Old Testament was still in effect. It was not until he raised from the dead that the New Testament could be uh, effectuated in reality. So we know that a testament, according to Hebrews, cannot be in effect until the testator dies. Now, I'm hurrying on for, for content's sake because we've got a lot more to cover tonight. Um, but for the sake of dispensational understanding, we know that we see the dispensation of Christ from the prophet's uh, conclusion with the, uh, with the children of Israel in captivity all the way until the prophetic utterances of their coming on the fire, and then Isaiah articulating the description of Christ as he would in the 66 books that he, he tries his best to convey through riddles, through analogy, and through prophecy what Jesus would do, what Jesus would embody, and then we see the fulfillment of that some 500 years later 
in the era of the Gospels when the Gospels were collected uh, among the 12 disciples. Now, during that, uh, during that time, during that time of, 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 of learning, we don't see the conclusion of Christ or we, because Christ is not realized until the Holy Spirit is manifested in the lives of New Testament believers and Acts. So it was happening, but there was no understanding during that time because they didn't know who he was. Because if they had knew the scripture says they would have never crucified the Lord of glory, my God from God. If you get an understanding of what I'm saying, it'll change your outlook on Christianity as a whole and show you the power of historical uh, of, of a historical overview, power of history in Christianity. History is defined by Christianity. And so they, they did not understand what, what was really happening. What Jesus was showing was that mankind would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life through inner convictions and inner characteristics that were undeniable and that were irrefutable that would prove that only God could cause us to live and exist in confidence in this world. And that's what we learned in the dispensation of Christ. Now, why was it completed? Because the Holy Spirit had come upon people through grace. In the New Testament, after, the, after Jesus had ascended and appeared 40 days after his resurrection to the people, he said that there would come greater works, and the promise of the Spirit will lead and guide us into greater truth. So we see in Acts all the way to the book of Revelation, uh, over a 200-year period of time uh, uh, historically in that uh, uh, era, a dispensation that we coined as the Holy Ghost. Now, the, 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 the dispensation of the Holy Ghost and the dispensation of grace are synonymous because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. Now, I'll, I'll explain that more in part two, and then you always have to get the commentary on this particular teaching because you're only getting 30 minutes a week on this particular subject. You, don't, you need about four hours on this, and we have five-hour teaching on dispensation so you can understand. But uh, dispensations, point number two, evaluates known acts of divine judgment. Uh, judgment to bring prophetic conclusions to the change need to alter actions that translate righteousness in the land. So we see that it, it not only develops understanding of how God attempts to display his nature to humanity and the sequence of events, but it evaluates known divine judgments to bring prophetic conclusions. Now what do I mean by that? God has decreed, the Bible says he makes known the end from the beginning. God has put things out there of uh, 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 things that will come to pass before they ever happen because God looks at the end and works himself back to the future. My God, I, I get excited about little coin statements like that because they really are loaded concepts. But ultimately we know that prophetic conclusions are spoken and declared and written state of God's judgments or God's plan to correct a counterfeit system against his will. And, and what, what we do when we evaluate actions and, and alternatives that people have taken against God's desired plan, 
introduced to us in creation, fulfilled in the doctrine of Christ or the dispensation of Christ, and now affirmed in the Holy Spirit. We look at, at those judgments as a means to change and alter our actions so that we can exemplify the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't have time to give you foundational understanding on that. You're just going to have to get the commentary for more things. So we see a, a, a great key point here. There are five things that we see about the judgment of God. Number one, God's judgment is eternal. And, and God, no, uh, number two, God's uh, judgment is everlasting. Let's stop there for tonight and deal with that. We can uh, give you reference scriptures of 1 John 5.20. In Psalms 93, Isaiah 24, verse 5, Isaiah 53, verse 12. I don't have time to go all of them, but they describe the, uh, the two basic errors. Now, we're going to see that God's judgments are effectual and exceeding, and ever, um, effectual and exceeding. but tonight we're going to focus on two aspects of God's judgment, which is that God's judgment is eternal and everlasting. Okay, now, let me give you the last point on dispensational awareness. Dispensational outlooks helps us think to spiritual maturity when we depend upon the Holy Spirit. Now, that is important because we know that the Holy Spirit is, is sent to lead and guide us into the truth. So when we depend on the Holy Spirit to reveal us truth, we then can have confidence um, in, in seeing the bigger picture that, that we're supposed to attain through uh, through. Amen. Through dispensation. Now, and I want you to understand, grace gives, when I say a lot, it gives us five things when we accept it. It gives us understanding, understanding, greater understanding, but it gives us understanding to, it gives us understanding on these five subjects. Number one, redemption. Number one is redemption. Number two, justification. Now, that's a legal term. Now, redemption is a legal term. It means to buy back something that was taken or stolen um, to redeem or to buy back or give to its rights alone. Then there's justification. There's number two. Number three is salvation. And then number four is sanctification. And then number five, glorification or being glorified. All right? Now, all right, let's see how much time. Let's get into of judgment, and we're going to pick this up next week, too, because we're almost out of time. All right. Now, remember I said that God's judgment is seen in five areas, but we're going to focus on two. We'll do, hit the other three next lesson. But the first two is effectual and eternal. Now, some things I want you to understand offhand about grace as judgment. Okay, grace is God's strength allotted to mankind uh, through his power given to us to live in confidence. And we know that we receive grace through faith. So once we operate in faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Once we accept God's word as final authority in our lives, we will awaken to grace. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find help and mercy in the time of need. So we know that grace is a, is a place we go to attain God's mercy, which means that God uses grace as a judgment call 
or a judgment resolve uh, to get um, get get things for us and get things to us by his means and his methods. Now, I want to give you five things that, that the throne of grace establishes. It gives place, meaning that in our lives, when we, when we go approach God's throne, which means God's presence, the throne is not a physical place, it's a, it's a spiritual place. It's a place where we come to the realization that God is the judge of all, and God ultimately has complete control over our lives when we submit to his will and his decree. Uh, first found in scriptures and then found in the contents of our heart. God speaks to us spiritually. The natural man cannot obtain the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. So as we as we approach God's presence, he begins to show us in our hearts what he truly is and what he is truly about. And when he does that, he establishes the concept of grace in us. Grace eradicates all excuses to not achieve the will of God in life because it is he that causes us both to will and do his good pleasure, according to Philippians 1, 4 and 5. Now, now, if it's God that has given us ability and God that has given us power to achieve his will and his for our lives, then excuses are eliminated from failing to achieve his will. And that's what happens when we come to the throne of grace. That, that uh, first of all, it, it, it eradicates a sin conscience. It eradicates a sin consciousness, and it, and it empowers the characteristic of Christ through sanctification of, of the heart. And then not only does it, it, it do that, it resolves and it restores us into the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, God's, God's grace gives us place in his throne. And when we come to the throne of grace, we, we find several things. Number one, perfect justice. Now, we'll talk about that in two lessons from now. And then we find a place of purity, a place of purity. And then we'll talk about this in a second, a place of eternal life. We see a place also of power and authority. Uh, when those things are seen in our lives, we will experience God's power, God's passion, God's provision, God's uh, uh, purposes uh, like never before. Amen? Now, i got three minutes. i got to give you uh, 12 aspects of God's eternal judgment and 12 aspects of God's everlasting judgment. Now, they're all the same thing. They're all derivative. They're all descriptions of God, God's judgment. But uh, they are expressed through things that are eternal and things that are everlasting. Things that are eternal and things that are everlasting. Now, when we say things that are uh, eternal and everlasting, what we're saying is that God, God judges us and judges matters and judges things from a perspective higher than our circumstantial um, expressions in reality. God takes the pie, causes that pie to work according to his, his plan. Amen. So it's not, it's not just uh, when we talk about judgment, talking about a bad behavior that we omit through ignorance. 
People are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, because they reject knowledge, and they perpetuate that through their children. So that's a consequence of sin. But God ultimately judges sin itself. And that's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life and peace. So the solution for eternal damnation is eternal peace and or eternal salvation. All right? Now, everlasting and eternal often uh, display that God just, God has a bigger picture in mind than our temporal things. That's why we don't look at the things which are seen because the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Twelve aspects of God's eternal judgment. All right, now, what, what we see in the scripture is, and I'm just going to read them to you and then I'll amplify them next week because we've got about a few minutes left. Number one is eternal life, John 3, 5. Jesus came and I have life and heaven more abundantly, eternal life. Number two, eternal damnation, Mark 9, 3, 29. Number three, eternal excellence. Isaiah 60, 15. Number four, eternal power, Romans 1, 20. Number five, eternal weight of glory, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Number six, eternal purpose, Ephesians 3, 11. Number uh, seven, eternal salvation, Hebrews 5, 9. And, of course, foundational, what we're talking about tonight, eternal judgment. Hebrews 6.2, number 9, eternal redemption, Hebrews 9.12, number 10, eternal spirit, Hebrews 9.14, number 11, eternal inheritance, Hebrews 9.5, eternal fire, Jude 1.21. Now, not only do we see God's judgment as being eternal, now once God says it, it has to be. That's why he says, I, the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. If I said it, I'm going to do it. So God is not like us. He's not a man that he should lie. Because once he says it, it becomes judgment. I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And then also I want to give you everlasting judgment. So once it's out there, it's out there, it's out there, and it's out there. That's what it means. So the, the nature of God's judgment cannot be circumstantial evidences of circumstantial situations because they're subject to change when they're under the influence and the, the problems of men. Now, I want to I help you with it. Grace helps you get the big picture, the big picture that God has bigger plans and bigger pursuits that goes beyond your little path of ways. And that if you operate in his power and his provision, you're going to find out what that picture, picture is and going to be able to live from a bigger perspective. And when you live from a bigger perspective, you'll get bigger results and you'll get better, bigger, uh, a better satisfaction and a better quality. We see that that better quality of life is also described through it being everlasting or perpetual without end. We see that there are 12 things that are without end. Number one is his possession, Genesis 17, 8, his covenant. Uh, number two is Genesis 17, 13, his laws or statutes, Leviticus 16, 34, his opportunities or doors, Psalms 24, 7, his righteousness, number five, Psalms 119, 142, his strength, Isaiah 26, for his light, Isaiah 60, 20, his name, Isaiah 63, 12, his dominion, Daniel 7, 10, his habitation, Luke 16, 9, his kingdom, Jude 1, 6, and his gospel, 
Again, it takes us back to our first lesson. When we understand that God's gospel, God's gospel of grace is everlasting, we will never come short of experience the quality of life that he has enabled us to live through his grace. So grace reveals to us a greater form of God's judgment, and it enables us to live God's judgment and confidence. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 for the conclusion of, of the matter. It says, listen, to the intent that now is to all principalities and powers and heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. That's why I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is laid, and he may grant unto you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded and settled in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And it goes on to say, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power. What is that power? The grace of God that worketh in us unto him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages dispensation, world without end. Amen. Now we'll pick it up next week and we'll we'll begin to give commentary on this and then go into the gospel of Jude as an example of developing dispensational grace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight, although it was more informational than revelational, I pray that something that was said tonight would spark an interest into studying the nature of your judgment see the power of your grace. I also pray that the eyes of the understanding of the deaf and dumb and you would awaken to truth in your Holy Spirit and that we would learn the ways of our God so that we can have confidence to walk by faith and not by sight. It's almost so my prayer, Father, that as we study more intently into the nature of who you are, that we would come to a realization of how powerful you are and how wonderful you are and the plans that you have for us to make us better people and to make us a, a, a historical mark of light on the earth, I pray also that your work of salvation would be evident in our lives so that others might say, what must I do to be saved? So God, be glorified, be edified, and the devil be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I'm out of time. I'll, I'll talk to you on the next broadcast. We have a lot more to cover. I just, I just barely got through my notes on grace as judgment. We'll continue next week and deal with some legality terms as, as, it, as it pertains to our operating in God's grace for living. God bless you, and good night.